0: As an innovative technology disruptor and leading workforce management solution, BookJane has fast and easy time saving tools that optimize efficiencies while elevating quality of care for aging patients and senior care residents. To find out more, speak to a BookJane expert at 1 855 265 5263 or sales at bookjane.com.
1: If we simply project what we're currently doing, we won't be able to afford other services. So I think a lot of Canada's social future and certainly our healthcare future depends on rethinking our strategy around senior care.
0: This is Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population. A podcast about how we can better support our seniors. I'm your host, Donna Duncan. I am also the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents about 70% of long-term care homes in Ontario, Canada. As our senior population increases and we face the arrival of an aging baby boom bomb, there are a lot of questions about how we're going to provide the care that the baby boom generation will need. There's discussion about whether we need to be investing more in resources in home care rather than long-term care. But this isn't an either-or situation. We need more of both. It's an and. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bob Bell, former Deputy Minister of Health for Ontario, former hospital CEO, educator and author, to discuss new thinking about how we can support people as they age and where long-term care fits into this new picture. Dr. Bell, thank you for joining us. So good morning, welcome to our podcast. So delighted to have you join us today. As I mentioned uh, to you, uh, we built this out because we really wanted to stop and reflect on this moment in time as we think about aging and how we care for our aging population. You bring a really interesting perspective and really welcome your thoughts as we reflect on why we ended up where we did in Canada and especially in Ontario during this pandemic and really reflecting on the devastating impact that this has had on our seniors and especially in our long-term care homes uh, in Ontario. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks Donna. First of all, for the invitation, appreciate uh, being part of this podcast. Uh, To me, this is, you know, I'm a, I'm a healthcare guy, right? I've worked in Ontario healthcare for 45 years in a variety of roles and Very committed to our healthcare system in Ontario and by reflection in Canada, the concept of a publicly funded system that provides care based on need rather than ability to pay is really important to me. And I think one of the most important issues in sustaining our publicly funded health system and ensuring that we can continue to provide international level excellent care. To everybody who needs it in Ontario relates to the care we provide for seniors. I think this is partly because demographics, the population of people over the age of 75 in Ontario, and I'll speak mainly to Ontario, but most of these comments have uh, relevance in the rest of the country as well. That population of 75 and older people is increasing at 4% per year, so it's going to double in 13 years, the fastest growing segment of our population is centenarians, people over the age of 100. So the strain on our healthcare system really is in part being driven by people who are, who are aging. And, you know, people are healthier as they age today in Canada and in Ontario. So, you know, is 90 the new 80? Yeah, maybe, sort of but we recognize that as people become more physically frail and especially as they become less cognitively sharp as cognitive decline occurs that more healthcare resources are needed and i think it's fair to say if we simply project what we're currently doing on a linear basis to that increased demographic of seniors in this country we simply won't be able to afford other services. We won't be able to afford excellent cardiac care, excellent cancer care. We won't be able to afford the kinds of social investments that we know we need to make to improve health in this country. We won't be able to afford excellent education, so important to the economic future of our country as well as social future. So, I think a lot of Canada's social future and certainly our healthcare future depends on rethinking our strategy around senior care. You and I have talked a lot about the factors that have resulted in a high mortality rate. You know, the factor that I think all Canadians know about now. The feature that's been quoted many times is we lead the world in terms of the high proportion of mortality, Canadian mortality that has occurred in our nursing homes, in our long-term care homes. Now, that perhaps sounds worse than it really is. It's not that we've had exceptionally high mortality in long-term care. It's that the highest proportion of our mortality has come in long-term care. So in general, our mortality rates in Canada have been better than most of Western Europe or certainly the United States. But when mortalities occurred in Canada, it's occurred in long-term care. And that, I think, needs to focus our attention going forward to say, you know, we've got to rethink this demographic challenge. So that's where I'd start, Donna, is the fact that I'm glad you're thinking about the strategy not of long-term care, but the strategy is seniors care. So I think that's absolutely where we need to start, is the way that we provide care to seniors. Many aspects of that need to be rethought. And it's great to have the opportunity to talk about that.
0: To that point, as, as we think about what we went through and some of the underlying factors, the these old ward rooms and long-term care homes, a health human resources Challenge a workforce challenge that that crosses just not long term care, but quite honestly, is a, a an enormous issue for the rest of our healthcare system, provincially, nationally, but also globally. Uh, this is a universal problem how we actually provide the care, uh, how are we actually going to build capacity? I, I know you were involved in the agent in place strategy. Uh, you've done a lot of work in rethinking the hospital system through your leadership, lots of integrations and mergers, some, some real rethinking about how hospital care is delivered. How do we, in your view, somebody who's been on both on the operating side and in the operating room, as well as on the government side, How do we very quickly pivot to actually stabilize all of the pieces?
1: Well, you're describing some of these challenges. First of all, you know, the numbers are staggering. We've got almost 40,000 people on the waiting list for long term care in this province of 14 million, 14 and a half million in Ontario. We have about 32,000 beds that are in those homes where we've had people sharing bathrooms, three to four people living in a room. Of course, they're not doing that now as a result of COVID, but those homes are, you know, they're 50 years old in many cases, and they need to be redeveloped. We have a human resource crisis today. Uh, We can't find enough people to do the work in long-term care. It's not valued by the workforce, is not considered to be valued by society, although I value it extremely uh, highly. And most people in healthcare do value the work of the people who work in long-term care very highly and have huge respect for what they've accomplished during the pandemic, trying to keep their residents safe. But the challenge of expanding this system and reforming this system simultaneously is staggering. It really is. On top of that, there's a general sense when we think of Ontario that the current model of care where we've got over half the homes owned by private interests, you know, there's a Probably a misconception and a misunderstanding of that by most people in Ontario, many people you've seen in the papers all the time, think that companies profit by providing care to seniors and they underpay workers and they squeeze profit margins out of providing care. I know that's not true. The funding formula that we have for long-term care in Ontario prevents the development of profit out of care dollars. But when I'm thinking about the change that needs to occur, I would start with a dramatic rethink still of what we're doing with home care, because I think the opportunity to, first of all, serve people where they want to be served. And we've all heard the comment that nobody wants to go to long-term care as part of their life's ambition. Well, that's not really fair to long-term care, because... At the time, nobody wants to go there until they need to go there, right? And then they desperately want to go there and their families desperately want them to have care. So someone who's becoming progressively frail, can't get out of the bed in the morning without assistance, someone who's a risk to themselves because of the degree of cognitive decline, they're suffering from dementia, other forms of cognitive decline. Those people and their families desperately want them to be safe when the time comes that they need care. But can we reform home care in a way that allows us to keep people at home longer? And I think there are ways that we can do that. Uh, I think there are reforms that we can make. I think the other thing is we need to think about the cost effectiveness of the way we care for seniors. You know, we're currently spending quite a bit of money. We spend about $11 $11 billion out of a $64 billion Ontario health budget on a combination of long term care, home care, community support services. And most of that $11 billion goes to seniors. Some of that is covered by the copay that is achieved in long term care. But still, it's a lot of money $11 billion to be paying for seniors in various services provided in the community provided in long-term care, a substantial proportion of our budget is spent on that. So we need to rethink it. We need to talk about it.
0: So in talking with Dr. Bell about the situation we're facing today and and where we've been over the last number of years, the numbers are staggering. Today we have almost 40,000 people on a wait list for long-term care in Ontario, Canada. We have 32,000 beds that are in old homes, The fact that over half the homes are privately owned, that's not the issue. We do know that the issues are these older homes that are overcrowded and a workforce that is not valued. Part of the reflection of COVID-19 is that we actually have to uh, think about reforming the entire model. Dr. Bell and I continued our conversation by reimagining how care can be provided to seniors with these lessons in mind. And and is there a way to take more of a population based approach? Please talk about the the structural pieces of the system. How could we do it in a way that really is about building it around the the people who want the services? So if you start at that end of the continuum where they're independent living at home to the point where it's more subacute or, or end of life care and everything in between, we we my lesson learned in this because I I used to work in the mental health sector, not in the long-term care sector, but coming into long-term care, long-term care seems to have been this catch-all. It is a destination. It is a building. And if you're in hospital and you no longer need hospital care, but can't go home, then everyone goes to this box. And regardless of what your clinical needs are, it's the fact that you have, the ne- have need, but there seems to be this sense that you can treat everybody with whatever they have in terms of their diagnoses or, or presentations and put them in a home and this is where they're going to live in a home. But yet we seem to have this cookie cutter approach for them as opposed to uh, differentiating the model and looking at different, almost deconstructing the model. I know in other countries, they think of long-term care as assisted living, long-term care has home care, long-term care has day programming and ambulatory programs. Is there a way where we can focus on redesigning and rebuilding this thing that is more traditionally long-term care, but look at more specialized programming for dementia or for, for other care needs? I think
1: that the continuum that you're describing, you started off by talking about population health, which is not a bad way to start. And to look at the continuum of care that supports seniors as that segment of the population that we're concerned about. And you're right, there's a falling off the cliff aspect to long-term care. We're gonna support you in the community, support you in the community. Oh, can't do any longer, but you're in long-term care. And there are kind of two final common pathways in the Ontario, the Canadian healthcare system. One is long term care, the other is the emergency department. You know, when we don't know what else to do. We send you to long term care, we send you to the emergency department. And those two, as you know, Don, are intensely correlated in that a lot of people end up getting into long term care through a decline in their health that starts in the emergency department, continues on the general internal medicine board, and then ends up in admission to long-term care. So how do we change that? And I I think the concept of community care and community support that you're starting to describe is is something that we need to rethink. And the way we provide home care is something that needs crucial reimagination. And it possibly needs a change in our social contract with seniors too. Because the way we currently provide home care where You're assigned a certain number of hours of care, and then reasonably poorly paid healthcare workers travel around the community from one place to another, providing you with those hours of care is neither effective nor is it optimum for either the provider or the person receiving that care, I would say. You know, I have a great deal of interest in the concept that has become prevalent, more prevalent all the time in Ontario called Naturally Occurring Retirement Communities, or NORCS, which is a concept that started, I think, in Ontario and Kingston in a social program called Oasis. and It's been talked about on CBC recently, Christine McMillan, who was the senior citizen who actually started this program in Kingston. This began as a group of seniors getting together and saying, look, we're all getting various services, but are the services being provided in the way we want? No, they're not. Why don't we tell the service providers that we want them to be provided differently? So my sense for reimagining senior care starts with talking to seniors and starts with looking at where seniors are residing and recognizing that your home is an essential piece of your health, right? And if we can actually link healthcare services better to your home, we may be able to provide better services, more cost-effective services. So, you know, if we think about home care, the concept that seniors naturally tend to aggregate in certain areas, and in Toronto, that aggregation is, you know, described as vertical aging because so much of this occurs in high-rises, It occurs in toronto community housing it occurs in mid-income rentals it occurs in high-end condominiums i mean many seniors tend to leave their single-family homes and either rent or buy high-rise accommodation and we have not accommodated our service delivery to that concept at all right now you may have 40 seniors living in a high-rise building and you may have 15 agencies providing home care. So you've got various workers going in and out of that building, going to the building across town, as opposed to saying, hey, why don't we get one agency to focus care in that area? Why don't we think about having a home care coordinator who understands that building and the building next door? And this set of four blocks of the city that has, you know, uh, 5,000 seniors. Anyway, you get the sense of what I'm talking about. We could do a much better job aggregating services. Not only does that aggregate services differently, but it starts to bring the community potential into providing those services. So people live in that building. You know, if we're actually talking about that building as requiring service for seniors, we probably develop a lot of volunteers in that building who'd be willing to do it. And we tend to think about home care as a transactional business. You know, we got agencies providing hours of service as opposed to a community that requires some paid service, possibly some volunteer service, probably requires a lot of self-management skills being taught to the people who are there. So that's what I hear from seniors. You know, I've heard from a lot of seniors in this regard. They want to stay in that home.
0: In talking about what are some of the measures we can take today to start to reimagine how we care for our aging population, there's a falling off a cliff aspect to long term care. We have two parts of this cliff in our healthcare system long term care and the emergency department. How do you change that? And in Dr. Bell's view, looking at community care and support and reimagining home care really needs to be a focus of what we do next. Dr. Bell talked about naturally occurring retirement communities. He talked about how we can identify where seniors actually live, whether they're in high-rise apartment buildings or condominiums or communities where we have larger populations of seniors and how do we go to them and help them in those communities while moving forward with the redevelopment of our long-term care homes and a reimagining of how we deliver long-term care in Ontario how do we staff long-term care in Ontario but how do all the parts of the system come together I was interested in getting Dr. Bell's thoughts on the need to rebuild long-term care homes and the type of home care supports needed to help people stay at home as long as they can, given the pressures on the long-term care system. As you noted, baby boomers are aging. So how do we make sure that we're we're building out those specialized services well and uh, allowing people to stay at home? We're, we're not gonna build 150,000 new long-term care beds in Ontario. We've got forty thousand people on a wait list, as you noted. Uh, so how do we start thinking differently? And how how do we start to think collectively as well? And thinking think I, I loved what you, you commented on uh, the that social contract. How do we start to take responsibility and, and share the care, we've we've seen the role of essential family caregivers really emerge out of this. Uh, Ontario set up a, a caregiver organization just prior to the breakout of the pandemic. It was we were just getting it set up and privileged to to have had a part in, in it its setup, but. It has proved uh, enormously helpful, and we are we are building that new army of volunteers and resources of, of caregivers and validating that role, whether it's a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a former colleague. Uh, really seeing seeing that function emerge. One thing I'd love to get your thoughts on as well, and and that's your thoughts as an educator and a, and as an employer in the in the healthcare system. As we think about the aging population and we're we're seeing a lot of retirements, especially of our regulated health professionals right now. You know, it takes four years to educate a nurse. Uh, It takes five or six years for a nurse practitioner, a a medical specialist. If we think about our, our workforce What we've not seen, we've not seen anybody in our country. Uh, I've had discussions with people in the European Union who've been doing this work, but really looking at our workforce strategy. So clearly identifying what specialists are retiring, what our gaps are going to be, what kind of specialists and competencies do we need to build out to support an aging population? How do we deal with that human resource piece when, when it takes... You know we've got thirteen years before the population over eighty um, uh, doubles. and yet how many years does it does it take to train a medical specialist to support their needs?
1: You know, our focus on on care for seniors has tended to focus on the fact that we don't have enough geriatricians. and I think that's true. We could use more people who are specialty trained in dealing with complex issues in geriatric care. But we also need to have a lot more focus in medical school during family medicine training on geriatrics and on palliative care because that's such an essential part of what we're talking about is end-of-life care is really something that needs to be part of that social contract that we were discussing. So here's, here's where I would start with that philosophy of health, human resources, I would start by saying, okay, can we describe what an optimum focus, what an optimum structure for seniors care would be in Canada? And I would start off by saying that as a senior, you have a responsibility to locate yourself in a place that's A, safe, that probably as you get older is in a single level dwelling probably in a place that allows you to obtain social support from a variety of people, either family or, as you described, volunteer caregivers, um, and also makes it easier for us to serve you. You need to have responsibility for understanding the diseases that you may be suffering from and how to optimize those and how to be as safe as possible with those. So I think we need to describe this as part of the social contract that People in their senior years tend to perhaps not think enough about their future, and we need to make that an explicit expectation of a new senior strategy. We need to think about the health human resource training that's required, and certainly we we both agree that a new focus on personal support workers is essential, but a focus on volunteers as well is important. I mean, that's a part of the Canadian experience. People want to volunteer, and where better than to volunteer in supporting seniors' care. Um, we need to describe better how you can stay active, mobile, away from residential care as long as possible. And then somehow think about a continuum, a continuum that's not falling off a cliff to go to long-term care, but a continuum that says, We can bring more and more support as you become more frail, perhaps more cognitively disabled. If you're in a right accommodation, we can probably provide more care in that accommodation. We can probably modify that accommodation. Goodness knows the technology that's available to us today in terms of identifying risks, identifying ways that you need to be protected from things within that accommodation, protecting from stoves, Protected from wandering, et cetera. there's lots of technology developing in Canada that can help with that. So redefining that social contract to keep people active and away from residential care for as long as possible is where I would start, Donna.
0: yeah, I, l- I love that thought around uh, that that preventative piece, but also your own responsibility and 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 accountability for ensuring your own safety as well and and how you advance that. If there's one thing that uh, you would do today to get this ruling, and I, I'm a big fan of celebrating incrementalism, would you say the first start is, so So one, we, we're, we're starting to build the buildings, we're training 16,000 new PSWs in, in, in Ontario today, uh, we're on track for that. Government has announced new nursing placements. The process still is the same process in in large part. So it's going to take us three years to build the new long-term care homes. So is the first step really to, to focus on home care then as sort of the, the missing piece of this puzzle right now? Well, I think,
1: you know, home care is the one part of this puzzle that doesn't require us to build anything. And although it does require us to train people, as you've described it, as training people with the shortest period of training, Right. And that training needs to be redeveloped. When we think about the professionalism, even though we recognize that people providing personal support aren't members of a professional college, when we think about the professionalism required to send people alone into the home of a single individual and to bait them and to undertake some of the most intimate tasks imaginable, you know, it's difficult to think that we don't think about those people as professionals, right? We require professionalism in their approach to care. But I think that a radical rethink of uh, home care is where we start. I think some of Samir Sinha's work from the National Institute on Aging that looks at the opportunity to intensify care in home care. We know that it costs, you know, currently about $55,000. That's probably on the low side right now. For someone in long-term care, we know that with four hours of care, we know that with the likelihood of an increase in wages within that sector, that's probably going to be north of sixty to 65000 a year within the very short period of time. Well, we can afford an awful lot of home care for that price, especially if we start to think about the work experience of home care and use this sense of aggregating work to a community as opposed to spreading it across the city. You know, if we could have these vertical aging high rises recognized for what they are—places where seniors live who may need home care—and we can have one personal support worker in a building looking after several different people, you know, without traveling, traveling on the elevator as opposed to getting in his or her car to travel, we can we can do a lot to reform this uh, this concept of home care. The other thing is the concept of the role of care coordination, you know, which is so important to long-term care. Care coordinators, of course, define who goes into long-term care. But if we think of care coordinators as working within a community, of having responsibility for geography as opposed to having responsibility for multiple thousands of people spread across a large area, you know, thinking... In terms of understanding the resources that are available in that community, is a really important place to start. I'm impressed by the work that UHN, my old hospital, Open Labs, has done in understanding the seniors' community in Toronto, how it aggregates around about 700 high rise buildings, and thinking about the technology support that we could achieve by really focusing on those buildings for those people. And it's a mix. You know, some of those are very, some of the highest end condominium buildings and a lot of that 700 building supply is Toronto community housing. But thinking how we can bring community care to those buildings is, I think, a really important place to start.
0: And, and you've made a great point uh, about how technology can be used. Is it a real enabler to keep people in home and bring more intensive supports into the home? I know that uh, I think about a, almost 100% of, of mental health services now are being provided uh, virtually through virtual counselling. Uh, and uh, even as we think about the number of cancer care programs that have gone virtual in over the last uh, 14 months, it, it really is an, an important pivot point, I think, the opportunity that unfortunately it took a pandemic to unleash, uh, especially around how we do shared care and how we can use technology and digitally enabled care and diagnostics, smart thermometers. It's, uh, it's really quite something.
1: It is, you know, and even if we think of simple things like understanding how mobile somebody is, you know, if you track their GPS, for example, on their watch, uh, their Apple watch or their cell phone, you can figure out how mobile. And if Mr. Smith is becoming less mobile, why is that? Is that part of cognitive decline? Is that part of the social circumstances? Mr. Smith depressed? You know, there's an awful lot we can do with technology. If we're understanding where people at risk are, Now, a little bit of this may sound a bit big brother-ish to people, but I think that's part of the social contract you know, uh, big brother shouldn't be looking over your shoulder, but if you're accepting the fact that you need more care because of various elements of health and social circumstance declining, then you probably should be expecting that a bit more monitoring is going to be in place. And that again goes back to redefining that social contract for what it means to get care as a senior what you have to do and what we're able to provide as a health system for you.
0: Wow, thank you know, thank thank you so much uh for, for sharing. Uh you know, as we think about it and start to anchor it in in I, you know in, in principles in that social contract and think about how we're framing things in an entirely different way. That it uh you've given us a lot to think about today, Bob. I really, <laughs> really do appreciate this. Well.
1: You know, Don, I I think we tend to think about healthcare being actively delivered to a passive recipient, right? But I think one of the biggest themes in healthcare today is, no, you're responsible. So much of what you can do to enable better health is to understand the things that impact on your health and to ensure that you're living healthy. And I think as we get older, that becomes more and more important. And I think we need to talk more about that personal responsibility that people have. So thank you, Donna, for the work that your organization does in leading us to think about better care for seniors and uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you this morning.
0: No, thank you. And it really is going to take all of us working together and it's not the Ministry of Health or the doctor or it, it has to be a collective initiative. And I'm really hopeful that we'll get on the right path. So thank you so much for your time and uh, your wisdom and uh, the benefit of, of your expertise. This has been delightful.
1: I'm not sure there's wisdom, but thanks for listening anyway, Donna.
0: After speaking with Dr. Bell, the key insight that struck me was that we need to reframe the discussion and reframe it in a way that we're talking about a social contract. A social contract with ourselves a social contract with our seniors it's a two-way street and we need to consider how all of us can share the responsibility to take care of our aging population and ourselves And Dr. Bell also encourages people to think ahead to their future and their future living arrangements. He believes people should take more responsibility for managing their own health and self-care and think about how they can make it easier to receive care when and where they need it. This idea of a social contract is a thought-provoking and compelling concept And we believe it's one that needs more discussion as we plan for the future of our aging population. Thank you for listening to Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate the show five stars and leave us a review. You can learn more about today's guest, Dr. Bob Bell at www.com. DrBobBell.com or follow him on LinkedIn or Twitter at DrBobBell. Our next episode will be airing on August 17th. Until then, I'm your host, Donna Duncan. Stay well.